Welcome back to the Unapologetic Skeptic Podcast. This episode is going to be an audio archive of one of my longer-form YouTube videos. So if you haven't had a chance to watch and you prefer to listen, sit back and enjoy. Is it possible to know God? Well, I would assume that depends on how you define knowing God. But personally, I haven't found anything I find convincing in a way to know God, so I'm hoping that maybe you'll give me something. Well, who or what is God? Well, I do think that defining God is probably the best way to start, so go on. The ultimate reality of Hinduism or Buddhism is infinite, but not personal. And the gods of the Greeks and Romans were personal, but not infinite. But the Bible describes God as both infinite and personal. Okay, so we're defining God as both infinite, but also a personal being. It's a good start because honestly, most people don't define the God they're talking about, so having that definition will help further the conversation. Now, does that guarantee that it won't devolve into nonsense? Of course not. It's just a good place to start. When we say God is infinite, we mean, for example, that God is eternal. He never began to exist, and he'll never cease to exist. He transcends time and space, bringing time and space into being at the moment of creation. So, I know we're not there yet in the conversation, but I think this is an interesting point to bring up. As far as the creation of the universe as we know it today, we don't know that it was a god that created it. For all we know, the universe could be eternal, and what we know today is simply the newest iteration of it. Now, this is just another theory, of course, but so is a god creating the universe. Nobody really knows. He is not physical or material. Rather, he's an infinite, uncreated mind with unlimited power. Now, while I do agree that a god would have to be eternal, just like the universe would have to be if the other theory is to be believed, that doesn't say what form that that god would be in. This is all speculation. And also, there are many different gods and many different creation stories around the world, so who's to say which one is right? But while God is infinite, he's also personal. He has mind, emotions, will, and moral agency all the qualities essential to personhood. I do think the fact that you're saying this as though it is a definite fact does say a lot. Again, like I said, at the end of the day, nobody really knows. And if you were being completely honest, you would say that. And he has them to an infinite degree. For example, he is all-knowing. He knows all facts and truths. Yes, being all-knowing would indicate that he would know all truths and facts. I believe that would also mean that he would know what was going to happen to everybody before it happens, defeating the idea of free will. But I suppose that's a topic for another time, unless you happen to bring it up in this video. He's also morally perfect. So not only is he without any trace of evil, but he himself is the source and standard of moral goodness. Right, and this is the same morality that says that if a woman is taken advantage of sexually by a man, that man has to pay that woman's father in silver and then take her hand in marriage. So essentially, that morality says that women have to marry their abusers. That also reduces women to nothing more than a piece of property, which I guess checks out with a lot of fundamental Christians. What connection could there possibly be between this infinite, personal God 
and you. Well, in the case of abused women, I can't say that it would be a very good connection, but why don't you tell us? Here are four truths to consider. Truths or your opinions? Can these truths be verified? God loves you and created you to know him personally. Well, right off the bat, this first point cannot be verified. The only place that this opinion is espoused is in the Bible, and the Bible is the claim, not the proof. The claim cannot be the proof. It's God's nature to love infinitely and unconditionally. But since love desires the highest good of its object, God desires your highest good. If God desired your highest good, then why did he create an eternal torture chamber for those who may not be convinced of his presence? And no, before anybody says it, just look at the trees or look at the sky is not adequate proof. But God is your highest good, so he wants you to have a personal relationship with him. In fact, this is why you exist. Right, but if God is this perfect being, then why did he need to create lesser beings in order to worship him? That seems a tad narcissistic, does it not? But there's a problem. Of course there is, because for some reason, God created that problem. Man is sinful and separated from God. The Bible describes our predicament like this. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. So just real quick, that comes back to the idea that everybody believes in God even if they say they don't. And that actually is verifiably false. His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Uh, so like I said, verifiable bullshit. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. You do realize that there were religions that came before Christianity, right? They weren't trying to think up ways to replace the Christian God. They had never heard of the Christian God. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Look, again, I know that the Christian narrative is that the Christian God was the first, but that's not historically accurate. And we know that. We've all done things we know are wrong. It's not just that we feel guilty. We actually are guilty. I mean, yes, we're all guilty of doing things that are socially unacceptable, but you're probably also defining guilty differently than I would. See, your definition of guilty is wrapped up in the idea of original sin and that we all need to be redeemed because we're fallen creatures. See, the issue with that definition is that if you can't prove the base claim that God is in fact real, and by God I mean your God, and that the Bible is 100% the inerrant word of that God, then your entire definition falls apart. But since God is morally perfect, sinful beings cannot draw near to him. Thus God is faced with a dilemma. Just to add a little clarification here, the dilemma that God would be faced with would be one of his own creation. Because he is just, the demands of his justice must be satisfied. In our case, that means death. Yes, and who caused that dilemma to exist? If we take and base it off of your story, and by your story I mean the Genesis account, God put the tree in the Garden of Eden. God, being all-knowing, knew what would happen, and God let that thing happen. But because he is love, he has compassion on us. 
He wants each of us to be reconciled with him. Right, so you're saying that it's loving to create an eternal torture chamber in order to solve a dilemma that he also created. God's solution is Jesus Christ. In the greatest invasion of all time, God entered human history. Now, let me just make this clear really quickly, and some people will agree, some people will disagree with this. There may have been a man that walked the earth named Jesus Christ, or, you know, whatever his name actually would have been. It's the God claim that's being debated here and nothing else. Though he was God, Jesus Christ was like us in every way, except he was without sin. He lived a perfect life, which meant he didn't have to pay a penalty for his own sin, Nevertheless, he voluntarily chose to die in our place to pay the death penalty we deserve for the sins we've committed. What happened at the cross was the greatest transaction in history. My sin was placed on Christ. He suffered the death penalty in my place. In return, Christ's righteousness, his moral perfection, was placed on us. So, in the most simplistic way, the issue with that is that the Bible is the claim, not the evidence. Of course, you can accept it on faith, but that's not real evidence. The only place that we find this is in the Bible. We can't find outside sources to corroborate this. Then, when Jesus rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin, death, and hell. Once and for all, God has moved heaven and earth to restore your relationship with him. Right, but at the end of the day, and the whole point here is where is the proof of this outside of the Bible? I do know that some people can rely on personal experience, but that only counts for the person that has had that experience. So where does the non-believer fit into all of this? Where does someone like me find the evidence that it would take to convince me of this? Because I have been looking, I have been searching, I have asked God, and I have not found it, heard it, or seen it. I am where I am for a reason, and it's not because I just want to sin. Now, it's your turn. We must personally receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. There's a difference between believing that and believing in. It's not enough to believe that these facts are true. You must take the next step and believe in Jesus Christ. And again, that really is the issue with all of this. Where do we find the evidence that would cause us to be able to not just believe, but believe in? So there's only about one minute left in the video, and the whole rest of it is just basically that you need to receive Christ and that it is possible to know him personally, but that was never proven at any point in this video. At no point did he actually provide real evidence that there is a living God. He just confirmed his own beliefs the entire time. But honestly, I want to hear from you guys. Let me know if I'm wrong. Was there something in here that I missed? Did he actually prove God? Let me know what you think, and if you enjoyed it, like, share, subscribe, and I will see you guys on the next one. Have a great